the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome into another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. I am your midweek host, Brandon Kravitz, joined as always by the Sultan of Salary, the man himself, Mike Gennetti. Uh, I am ready for real live football. I know that. Uh, Mike is as well. I know that you, the listeners, are, and um, we still have plenty of financial drama mm. to comb through. So happy to be here. This is a celebratory day for many reasons, and uh, about to get to it. Yeah, man. Good to have you back. I thought last week went well. I'm uh, looking forward to another edition of this. Uh, I think what's funny, and I'm, I'm looking at the agenda here for today, we just had about 1,200 players get processed in the NFL, right? Whether cuts or IRs and pup lists and all that fun stuff, practice squads, of course. And I feel like we're going back to where we started, right? I don't think there was any like breaking news with all of these roster moves. It seems like a pretty vanilla offseason in terms of how we're ramping up for week one, outside of the fact that the Arizona Cardinals don't yet have a quarterback. But uh, I do feel like we're going back to the same old stories, and there's, they're, they're worthy of it. It's, uh, it's some interesting financial decisions down the stretch here, for sure. Yeah, and this Jonathan Taylor stuff that yeah. we'll start with, it just seems like I, I, I do appreciate it from a content standpoint because it's the same sort of topic, but with the way yeah. the Colts operate, we've had new wrinkles to this every single time we've been able to discuss it. And there are they won't stop talking ones. about it, so we can't. <laughs> <laughs> and just the, the way that they're handling this, the, the asking price, and that's what I wanted to start with. Yeah wild stuff we knew that a first round pick that they originally wanted that was the original report that that was a lot well apparently that wasn't it they asked the Miami Dolphins for Jalen Waddle and more and Chris Greer the GM over there promptly turned that down as he should uh Jalen Waddle was drafted in 2021 he's already one of the best wide receivers in the NFL still working on that rookie deal it would not make any sense this is a bad fantasy trade to some degree let alone uh, it's even worse in reality but I think it goes back to a point that you made on the episode we had last week the Colts if this is what they were asking for they were never serious about making a trade no, they were simply just just letting him go out there and do his business, knowing it was never going to work out for him um, and he'd have to come crawling back. Uh, do you think this was teams just truly do not want to give up even high draft picks, let alone money for the running back, even a damn good one? Or do you think this was about the ankle? Because, you know, that's the other side of this. He's out for four weeks and there's really nothing anybody can do about that, maybe even more. Uh, you know, it's potential holdouts and whatnot. But I, I do think that the the contract status of this whole situation and the injury status is part of this conversation that really isn't coming up. Do people just think he's faking it? I, I'm not even joking about this. Do people just think that he's being shelved as a holdout situation here? So, I mean, I think that was originally the case, but yeah. lately it seems like the uh, the truthfulness behind the ankle injury has started to ramp up a little bit. There is concern. Why would the Colts put him on the pup list? to start the year they didn't trade him you figure he could help with the development of anthony richardson and if they're zero and zero as it stands right now they still have a chance in a bad division to be competitive if richardson clicks right away so i don't think it makes a lot of sense if you weren't able to get the deal done to leave him off the field unless you're trying to preserve that value so that would right. be the argument on the other side yeah but it does seem like the ankle could be an issue i think i still think it's more about the running back position and the colts overvaluing him in the trade market yeah rightfully so uh, they didn't want to lose this guy and that's what i want to get to now quickly with you is 
to me, the injury has to be real because in, in a perfect world, he, he's not even holding out right now. I, I mean, is there a better situation for a running back who had a bad 2022? And he did. He had, he had a stinker of a 2022 and based on his terms. Is there a better situation and outlook for a player to not only increase your value, but do everything possible to buck the trend, to get around this running back devaluation process and to get paid than, than Anthony Richardson, maybe Michael Pittman and nothing else. I mean, he is the only option on that offense outside of Richardson, you know, outrushing him in, in certain weeks. I just, I think he is literally set up to increase his value times three, get a contract offer, or at least get himself into a situation that Jacobs and Barkley just went through, which is get the tag, hold off the tag, get some sort of one $1.5 million increase and come back on 12, $13 million next season. So to me, he's in that spot. So I, I wouldn't be throwing that away right now if I weren't, you know, I don't think the holdout is going to happen. Let's put it that way. Even though I've laid out every single possibility for one on Twitter, you know, I don't think that makes sense because he's literally staring down the best situation possible. The The, the counter to that would just be that he's entering year four. He yeah. knows he's the best option on the offense and he's about to be utilized quite a bit. If he's out there, he's going to be overused and he might be running to the ground. And that's the big, we got to go back to the zoom call that these guys had. (laughs) They all sat like we are right now on a call with each other. And what do you think the big thing they talked about was, it was the fact that these teams know that they can use us and then discard us because of our age. And the fact that there's always going to be somebody else they can come in and put in the work. So maybe Taylor, you know, he's sort of the guinea pig here. It's like, mm-hmm. I I don't want to put myself out there because I know you guys are going to run me 20 times a game. And and then what's my value? Even if I have a good season, you'll go, yeah, but that was last year. It's not like baseball where you get paid for past performances. I guess my I'd push back on that, though, too. You know, I don't, I don't think there's any room to be a pioneer right now <laughs> with this whole scenario. Barkley tried. Barkley was in a really good spot. You know, he went through his his injury situation. He had a hell of a year last year. He was the option. You know, they threw five or six wide receivers at us. You know, Isaiah Hodgins had, you know, played out of his mind, th- things like that. He was the only option for New York, and they ended up being, a, you know, basically a postseason team. So if he can't get it done, if Josh Jacobs, the rushing leader, can't get it done, how is Jonathan Taylor coming off his worst season going to walk into any room and say, I'm putting my foot down until I get $13 million a year? It's not going to happen. So, right. and by the way, all indications say Indy, Indy hasn't offered any kind of contract offer. So I'm not sure that we're even close to this conversation, but. I'm going to throw this back on you because I know you do a lot on this content. If, if an offer is made, right, let's say where we're going with Chris Ballard and he thinks that this is, you know, the end game is going to be, he's going to be a cult for life or whatever it's going to be. Does Jonathan Taylor even say yes to this? I'm worried he says no to a great contract offer because of this situation. And that's the last thing that running backs need is him, him saying no to 12 million a year. Well, and I think you just hit on it because the biggest thing beyond just thinking about this from the value standpoint, the usage and all of that is pride and emotion does play a factor here. Clearly, the way that this has all gone down has fractured the relationship between Jonathan Taylor and the Indianapolis Colts. It's probably tarnished the relationship between Taylor and Ballard. We know that Jim Ursay has not helped this situation one iota. So I think all of that, that might even be the biggest factor in all of this from Taylor. And he might say no to whatever gets thrown in front of him for exactly that reason. Chris Ballard did bring this up, though. He said this is this is a, a relationship that needs repairing and it's on us to do that. 
I think he's been put in an impossible situation because he's supposed mm-hmm. to do what the owner wants. But also, I, be- I do believe him. He has true love for this player and the talent that he has. I looked up this stat, and this is not science by any means as far as the value of the running back position, but it does speak to how important Jonathan Taylor is for the Colts. Since he was drafted in 2020, when he rushes for 100 yards, mm. they're 13-1-1. and So, Man. I mean, obviously, the you could say, well, yeah, it's easier to run when you have a lead, and then leads lead to wins and all that. It's still a really impressive record. It means when he is being used and, and is playing well, your team is winning games. That is the definition of value. So Jonathan Taylor is not just a, a fun name in fantasy. This is a guy that can help you win football games. Yeah, there's no question. He's got that Derrick Henry sense to him where he you can run the offense through him maybe eight or nine weeks out of a regular season. And he's he's kind of that war player. You know, it feels like he's kind of that war player in baseball. And, uh, and he's got two to three years left. I, I know you're worried about him being run into the ground. I, I don't know that there's a team that wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? It's not like he could get traded to a better situation where, you know, 150 attempts versus 300 in Indy is going to be better for his career. I don't I don't agree with that. All that all that does is fortify the conversation of the running back by committee, which is, you know, outside of two teams right now in the NFL, everybody else has adopted that strategy. So I, I think if he's the singular option and any kind of offer is made, any kind of legitimate contract offer is made, he has to snag. it. He has to do it. Even if he hates everything that, that's going on in this front office, even if he wants to never speak to these, these, these men again, you know what I mean? You're a running back getting offered $12 million. You have to take it. You yeah. have to do it. Um, I'm at that point with this. I know that's, you know, that's, would he be more tradable? Would you think he'd be more tradable after signing a contract if it's a fair offer deal that the teams would be more likely to go, okay, now that I don't have to worry about that, I'll make you the proper offer, which is you'll go back to Christian McCaffrey. Who's the comparison in all of this. He already had the deal in place when the 49ers made that big trade. I was just going to bring him up. Um, I just ran some numbers on McCaffrey now because I'm working on some average salaries and things like that for the entire off season. You know, we keep talking about McCaffrey in this big $16 million contract. He hasn't been that for three years. He's he's a $12 million player for San Francisco and not even really that at, at much. So uh, over three and a half years, he's only worth about $10.9 million per year to the 49ers, which, you know, that's arguably the best running back, one of the best weapons on all of football. It's about $11 million a year for what the 49ers are offering him. So, uh, yes, you, even if you're a year and a half, two years, you know, you pull the Odell Beckham Jr. situation with the Giants where – they paid his ridiculous signing bonus and ended up trading him a year and a half later. Even if that's where this goes, everybody wins, right? Taylor gets paid. The Colts get a year and a half more of this monster workhorse. And then somebody gets to pick up the breadcrumbs and get 27 and 28 year old Jonathan Taylor at basically nine, you know, eight or 9 million a year, which is just good for everybody in my opinion. Yeah. And if we can get him on the field quicker, all of you that drafted him in round two or round three in the last, couple oh, are you of feeling weeks. that right now? Oh, am I ever? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> I've been all over Taylor and Jacobs. I've been drafting them yeah. everywhere because I haven't been fearful of this contract situation. This is it's conversations with you that allow that anxiety. There's enough to worry about with these guys when you're drafting them injuries. Mm-hmm. And uh, or, did they have a great year that they're not going to be able to follow up when it comes to guys leaving that much money on the table? I just don't believe that that's a real issue that we should be fearful of. And then this Jonathan Taylor pup mm-hmm. news came out. And yeah, what are you going to do about that? So he's out for the first couple of weeks. I do want to ask you before we move on from the Jonathan Taylor saga, the sleeper team in all of this, the Green Bay Packers 
Yeah. Uh, that was the report that came out that there was all, all, all the while it was the Dolphins and someone else. We didn't know who someone else was. Well, it turns out it's the Green Bay Packers. What does that say about their faith in the guys they do have on the roster? Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon yeah. this year against the cap. They've got nine million dollars already tied up in their running back position. This is a team that invests in running backs. Um, I don't know which guy it says uh, a bad thing about, but it definitely doesn't bode well for their opinion of one of these two guys. I, I, I might look at it a little differently. I, Jones is one and done here. In fact, he probably should have been off the roster this year. I think he took a bit of a pay cut, a bit of a haircut to stick around this year. Uh, I know they restructured that contract again. So uh, he's there for the blanket of security, in my opinion. It, this says a lot about AJ Dillon, who they've tried for two and a half, three years now to make the guy make the workhorse and he hasn't shown up. So uh, he's an expiring contract. He's going to fall off this roster no matter what after 2023, maybe even sooner. Uh, I think that would have been the case, by the way. AJ Dillon going back to Indy in a Jonathan Taylor trade had that been the scenario. So um, to me, it's it's about a team rec- recognizing they have a young quarterback who's going to need some time to grow into the position and a bunch of young receivers and tight ends, you know, good ones, I think, in, in Green Bay that they just want to supplant with whatever kind of, you know, complimentary pieces they can do so. And Taylor's a heck of a complimentary piece in an offense like that, which sounds a heck of a lot like Indy. That's the, so yeah. if I look at Green Bay as a better version of what Indy probably will be in a year with Anthony Richardson and maybe, you know, you know, whatever they're going to pull out of the draft in the next year and a half. But I, I just think it's good business for a Jordan Love run offense that's going to have its hiccups and its, you know, its growing pains. So if you could trade them AJ Dillon in a you know a conditional third round pick something like that, I, I I see teams like Green Bay making sense for that. But um you know I don't think this is a, a you know a down slot on Aaron Jones who's at the back end of his career, uh, and the AJ Dillon stuff just has never clicked. So you want to upgrade Jonathan Taylor is an upgrade. This has to be the breakout year for AJ Dillon. Otherwise, yeah, yeah they're going to move off of him and he's not going to get that big contract elsewhere. That would have been one hell of a backfield, Aaron Jones and Jonathan Taylor. And that would have provided that relief for Taylor because you'd still use Aaron Jones quite a bit. But this is where you and I have been in agreement all along. The team that needs Jonathan yeah. Taylor the most is the team that he already works for. So uh, yeah. hopefully this situation can work itself out. Details have emerged for Jonathan uh, uh, with uh, see Jonathan Taylor still on the mind. Josh Jacobs restructured his contract. How does he get up to the reported $12 million? That was the original mark that had come out. Yeah, I said this on your show. I, I knew there was some funny stuff coming with this one, and there sure is. It's yeah. uh, His base guarantee is exactly that franchise tag, right? It's, it's exactly the same number that he started with. Um, to get anything else, to get up to that 12 million mark, he's got to be active for every week. So it's a, it's a $1.7 million per game roster bonus at one, you know, at a hundred thousand dollars a week. Chances are he makes the most of that. So he's going to, you know, eclipse the $11 million mark pretty easily. Uh, and then some, and then there's a couple hundred thousand dollars with incentives built into that as well. So it's a, it's a stronger deal than Saquon Barkley in terms of, he just has to show up. Doesn't have to necessarily be the top running back in football like he was last year. But it's not much better. Uh, you know, the good thing is, and what it's going to do is, if he's active for, let's say, three quarters of this season uh, and he makes himself 12, 12 and a half million dollars, 120% of that number is going to be a nice number for the franchise tag next year when he comes back and, and, and the Raiders end up saying they want to keep him or, you know, worse off, they want to keep him, you know, tag and trade him, something like that. So he's set himself on a better track for financial increase next year. 
but he's going to have to stay healthy this year to really do much more damage than the franchise tag. So Saquon Barkley isn't looking at the Giants when he sees this deal and going, what, what, what happened here, guys? Where did, where did I screw up? He's not looking at this in an envious sort of way. It's just different. I, I would be. I mean, I would be at $900,000 of incentives and none of them likely he's got to, he's got to be a better player than he was last year. That's not strong. That's not, that's not a good enough package for me if I'm Barkley. So he Uh, came back too soon then. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Now Jacobs was always going to get the better deal. He had the better season last year. Uh, They declined his fifth year option. So there's some, you know, a little bit of empathy in terms of what the Raiders have to offer him this year. Neither of these guys got paid anything near what they're worth, in my opinion but at least they're taking steps forward and, and there's not many running backs saying that across the league. Oh, the running backs. We could talk about them all day. I, uh, I, I've got this, uh, this angels news here on uh, my rundown and I cannot wait to get your thoughts on this. What in the world are they doing? Putting five semi valuable veterans through waivers. This is sort of, correct me if I'm wrong, but this feels like an unprecedented sort of move, especially with the off season they're, that they're about to have. Is this a, a smart move? Is this shrewd? Or is this a bad look for Artie Moreno? Yeah, it's that guy in fantasy who's last in the league, right? And just decides to start dumping players onto the waiver wire before the postseason deadline gets there. Um, this happens for the most part in August with most teams. It really does. Not to this degree, though. For the most part, you see one or two veteran players who most most teams think won't get picked up on waivers, just kind of pass through just as a semantic move, just in case, you know, the Mets did this with Carlos Carrasco. Nobody's picking up Carlos, Carlos Carrasco's remaining salary. It's not happening, you know, in any capacity, but teams are trying to save a couple million dollars. It's really what they're doing. They're, they're trying to save some money on the back end of the season from a cash and tax perspective, just to see if anybody will nibble on any of these players. And I think the angels will get a couple of nibbles on these players. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say they're trying to save money for Otani. You know what I mean? But if they're trying to save a little face in 2023, knowing that they're 12 and a half games out of the wild card and, and their season's over, I, I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. So I, I, I'm calling this story a little bit overblown, I guess is where I'm headed with this, Brandon. It's a little overblown. Sure, the Angels are doing this a little bit more than most teams generally would in August. But you have to remember, just two years ago, this was a, a legitimate way to trade a player. You would put a player on waivers. A team would come calling and say, all right, I want Lucas Giolito for, for the stretch run of our season. Let's hammer out a trade with cash, cash and, some, and some minor league players and get this thing done. That was illegal. There was, a, there was a second trade deadline just two years ago. So teams are kind of used to doing this. There's just no way to actually get any compensation back at this point. It's literally just a salary dump now. We'll see if anybody bites. But uh, I don't think it's as big a story as has been made, uh, in my opinion. Is there a luxury tax reason to do this, a, yeah. a deadline, and, and what would that date be? Yeah, the luxury tax doesn't get calculated until the end of the of the regular season, just like in the NBA. It's a full-year process. So, like I said, if you can shed 800 grand on a salary right now, it's it's worthwhile to you, especially if you think next year you're going to blow up your tax and you don't want to be a repeat in a repeater situation. So the Yankees are trying to do that with Harrison Bader. Uh, certainly the angels have four or five contracts out there that are at least, you know, considerable from a waiver claim perspective. We're going to see other teams do this just to try to save a little bit of face. You know, the Mets aren't going to get much, you know, relief off of $348 million, but, uh, everybody's trying to nickel and diamond right now, especially those teams that are out of the race. The weird part about this is that I think the Lucas Giolito part, uh, and, and a couple of those other names that they had made moves for, yeah. 
at the trade deadline. So they gutted what was already not known as one of the better farm systems and now are letting those guys go. So that was that yeah, was just one worst. month of bad baseball that kind of did them in. Yeah, I guess the worst part about it when you do it to this degree is you are just admitting out loud, you know, whole, you know, we screwed this up. We completely messed everything up because that's not what you want to be saying to Shohei Otani on the way exactly. you know, as he hits free agency. That's this not cannot bode well for that situation. No, I think they know exactly where they stand with that, and they are simply just trying to save money now because the uh, it's not even worth trying to put the good face on at this point. They know where they're headed. Right. The uh, the, the clown paint has already started to become <laughs> applied, so yeah. why even shy away from it? All right, let's get to some quick hits before we wrap up here on today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast. The Miami Dolphins have tabled any sort of contract extension talks with Tua and with Christian Wilkins on the defensive line. Not much of a surprise for me when it comes to Tua. They still have him for another year because of that fifth-year option. But uh, your thoughts on that and then the timeline for Wilkins, so I think, is a more pressing issue for them. Yeah, I generally don't like to have you know anyone else needing a big contract extension along with my quarterback. So the fact that they're not staggering these are, are, is a little bit worrisome to me. Uh, it might lead me to believe that Wilkins doesn't end up getting the contract at the end of the day, that he's going to become one of these tag, uh, tag candidates in, in a year and a half. But um, I get it with Tua. I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't think anybody's arguing the fact that Tua needs to wait until after 2023 to see if he can put together a full season. And, I think and two would agree with that. I think so too, right? Yeah, he he wants his value to increase too. So uh, the Wilkins stuff, I, I, it never seemed like it got real close when they when they signed Zach Sealer. That was kind of like a, a flag on the ground moment that we've at least got one of our guys under contract now for two and a half years guaranteed. So I, I think it's a slow pay process. They have to. They've pumped so much investments and assets into the last two, three off seasons that uh, they had to slow the pace a little bit at some point in time. And this is just them saying, you know, not everybody gets all of our money all the time. Right. Uh, they've got a lot of star players on that team. I saw Joe Burrow back at practice despite a snag in contract negotiations. That'll be the next big quarterback deal that goes down. Yeah. Is that something that you think we'll see the the big breaking news bulletin by like week three? Or because he hasn't signed and the season's about to start, we'll, we'll be waiting until close to the end of the season yeah i don't know i know that a lot of agents and front offices don't like to do business in the season uh but we're really getting downward here we're literally a week away from from that opening game um i i think the calf injury has to be putting some people on pause though i don't know why it's not like this guy's not going to be here for the next six seasons right um so i'm not quite sure where we are with this their their caa is very very good at keeping things under wraps we hear nothing from that organization in terms of negotiations it's probably not going great. If I had to guess out loud, Cincinnati generally doesn't love to guarantee a lot of things at signing. Uh, even recently with some of their defensive players and, and things like that, they have not come around on the fact that you have to upfront these things and, and put the thing, put the money in escrow and just live with your life. So my guess is there's some contention with that. Um, I don't think this is going to be a massive, massive top of the market contract. I really don't, Brandon. I think Joe Burrow is going to give a little here. He has said that thing out, out loud for a while now. He knows what the situation that Mahomes got into in Kansas City, and he's already trying to get out of this contract. So I do think this will be more traditional than some of these other quarterback contracts. Uh, it's just a matter of Cincinnati putting up the money up front, uh, and, and, and they just don't have a history and a, ro- and a track record of doing so. So if I had to guess, they're not in love with the calf injury, and they want to make sure that he's back in full health before they announce anything great. 
And also, they're going to have to suck suck it up and put 115 million in escrow because that's the uh, that's the number right now. Isn't it crazy that the quarterbacks that can really hold these franchises over the barrel are the ones that end up giving a little? Patrick yeah. Mahomes, Tom Brady. Yeah. What are the Bengals without Joe Burrow and his agent? And he, they both know that. Yeah. And whatever they ask for, whatever it is, it's probably not enough. I mean, he's that valuable to that franchise, but that's what the great ones do. Yeah, there's no question. And like I said, he seems like the kind of guy that would do that. If he doesn't, more credit to him. Peyton Manning never did. Aaron Rodgers never did until, you know, two months ago. So uh, it's not like it's required to to win yourself a Super Bowl. We've seen it work both ways now. Uh, I just think where we're headed in in this world where Deshaun Watson kind of broke things and, you know, Mahomes is already restructuring, makes a little bit of sense to not go all the way to the top of the mountain and, and to give a little bit at the end of the day. I it, I agree when guys that play for great organizations do it. I think Burrow should get his in this situation because the Bengals just historically don't really deserve it. Uh, Dak Prescott uh, did not seem pleased when confronted by the media about the Trey Lance trade. Can you understand that sort of uh, attitude from him? Is it warranted in this situation from Dak? Yeah. To l- be more welcoming. I don't know if I said this on your show on, or on my last pod episode, but I think I've reacted to this from every angle possible um, in terms of Trey Lance coming to Dallas. Th- there is a world where this is some sort of leverage for Dak Prescott's next contract. It has to be there, right? It has to be at least, well, we're, we're going to go with this guy. He's younger and cheaper and he's not proven. We're going to see what we can get out of him because that's how Dak Prescott became a starting quarterback too. He had to, he had to, out, he had to beat out Tony Romo who got injured. So uh, they, there's a precedence for this within that organization. I, I think Dak's just pissed he doesn't have his contract. I, I think they worked really hard to get something done. They know that cap hit is looming next year, and they don't want to have to deal with an, another back-against-the-wall situation, which they went through for two years, uh, a franchise tag, an injury, and then a second franchise tag with Prescott. So he's probably just sick and tired of the runaround that Dallas has given him from a contractual standpoint, and now he knows that they can use this as a way to say, look, you're going to have to give a little bit, you know, you're not going to be able to be, you know, you've got an injury. We haven't won a Super Bowl. We're barely a playoff team. There's all these things that are kind of check marks on his boxes. And I guess adding Trey Lance to the mix, though, there's been no evidence is at least some sort of leverage to say, now we really don't need to do this with you. We want to do it with you, but we really don't need to because we could just start this thing over with him and see where we go from there. Yeah, it has to be at least a little bit threatening. Even yeah. though Dak is the guy there and he's got the big money, it's his franchise as it stands right now. But he was a fourth-round pick. Trey Lance was taken third overall. That's right. So there's got to be a little bit of fear there. And, and there's no guarantees next year on that Dak contract. It's a big cap hit, but the, you know they could – Post June first, him they could find a trade partner. There's no cash guaranteed on that Prescott contract next year. Wow, and there are going to be some teams that are desperate uh, next year. There right. always are. There are teams that want to upgrade, and uh, who good. knows if Tua doesn't work out in Miami, they've got this ready-made roster, and they could be in a Kyler Murray conversation, a Dak Prescott conversation, uh, and and all of that. Is, is time flying when it comes to these contract negotiations or just in life in general? Or Because it feels like Dak, we just had this conversation with Dak no, Prescott where every other day it was, is he going to get a new deal? That wasn't that long ago, right? That's the beauty of, of short contracts. You know I love those. Yeah. You know well, I eat those alive. But it, it was a four-year contract, right? It wasn't an eight-year monster that had to get restructured seven times. It's... That's the beauty of putting your foot down as a quarterback and saying, 
I want to be able to do this again in three years because I want to make sure that the, uh, you know, the cap and the cash situation in this league doesn't blow past me, which it has for many other players. Uh, so you're right. It feels like it was yesterday because it really was just two years ago that Dak was negotiating this $40 million contract. I never really thought about it until right now, but if everybody just signed 10 year deals of all these stars in sports, your job would be a whole lot less interesting. So yeah. that's why yeah, I barely pay attention to the NHL because they sign and then I forget about them for six, seven seasons. Exactly. There you go. Uh, I saw Zay Flowers, the 22nd overall pick in this year's NFL drafts, got a pretty lively response when he told the team about, about the amount of his signing bonus. It's a really really fun clip but it's also not surprising information this is all stuff that works on a pay scale so shouldn't these guys already know what that signing bonus is before he's they i mean they acted like he was like it was some new information that they would have no availability to which you have i mean what are we doing here right i mean no um i, I talk to agents a lot and, and that's a question i ask all the time like how much do your guys care how much are they into it? How much do they know? How much do they ask? Uh, or is it li literally just you figure that ass out and I'm going to go play ball and we're at the end, we're all going to make a lot of money and have a lot of fun with it. And I get a mixed response. There are, uh, you know, there are a few people that, that reach out even to me at some point in time and, and ask questions and, and really start, try to understand and learn. Most, I think the majority of players in this league are just there for football reasons. And the business part of it is for other people to deal with. Um, but look, you know, if you're making $7.2 million on a signing bonus and you didn't previously make $7.2 million in your life, I think that's something you would not only know about, but like, you know, I, I, I don't know. Do you think it's, I think it's a little BS. He, he knows he made 7.2 million this year, right? He has yeah. to know that. Oh, of course. I, mean, I want to see him the, up constantly. <laughs> I want to see the reaction. Uh, I, I need the same video, but for guys that were drafted in the top five, you know, <laughs> it's like 26. I think it's like $26 million signing bonus for Bryce young. I want that yeah. video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, mean, I think he knows. I think, you know, I think he's being humble about it. And I, by the way, I think there are much bigger signing bonuses in that kid's future. That kid's going to be a superstar. Yeah, he's special. Um, more likely to miss week one at this point, Nick Bosa or Chris Jones, if you had to waste oh, money great on it. Great question. Is this a poll question on your radio show today? This is a great one, man. You know, it might just be. I think I yeah. might save this for later. Or how about this? Who's Who actually plays football in week five? Jonathan Taylor, Nick Bosa, Chris Jones. Tua? No, that's. I think that's I like that. Oh, no, don't sorry, do that sorry, today. sorry. <laughs> um, I believe that Chris Jones is actually going to hold out. I, I think he has all the resume behind him to do so. He has said out loud. He know that there's a dude that knows exactly how much he's making this year, right? He knows that twenty million exists on his on his uh, salary, and he has done the math to figure out what he is willing to give up. I don't think Nick Bosa wants to go down that path. Um, I think Nick Bosa knows that the money is coming. He is in a franchise that routinely does this. Uh, you know, Debo Samuel had to go through this. And he is on a, in a situation where his, his starting court. Listen to this. Not only is Brock Purdy not making a lot of money, Brock Purdy, in terms of quarterback salary and cap hit, is third on his team. Right? Yeah, Brandon Allen and Sam me. Darnold are both making more money than the starting quarterback this year. So oh, everything's there. I mean, you know, the, the situation is set up perfectly for Bosa to make 30 million a year. I think he just shows up, plays football and lets the agent do the work behind the scenes. We know exactly what the numbers have to be. We just have to get San Francisco mm -hmm. to bend and get there. So I, I think he plays right out of the gate. Uh, I do think Chris Jones holds out for a bit here.
So I brought this up last week with the point spread and how valuable these guys are. Chris Jones, probably not going to play week one. We saw the line move from Chiefs minus seven to Chiefs minus six and a half. You know, the exact same thing happened with the Steelers and the 49ers. It was 49ers on the road, three point favorites at Pittsburgh. They're now two and a half point favorites. So these guys pretty consistent. Vegas is telling you elite defensive linemen are worth half a point on the spread. Do with that what you will, but they are they're consistent with that. At least with that one, I'll push back a little bit and say that Pittsburgh's offense in the preseason might be doing a little bit there too. So no Nick Bosa, sure, oh, yeah. but but the Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Najee Harris, Jalen Ward, and, and Kenny Pickett was didn't he have like a perfect rating throughout the preseason? He was the happened? yeah, the highest rated quarterback yeah. in the preseason. So that, that's yeah. definitely part of it. And people are not shy about betting on the Steelers. They have a trillion fans right. in this country. That could be part of it too. But I thought it was interesting that both lines shifted mm-hmm. with those two guys and by half a point. Let's wrap on this. Kyler Murray starting the year on the pup list. The Cardinals telling us exactly what they want their year to be. Uh, only one year into a $230 million contract. Will he play this year? Yeah, he's going to play. Um, and here's why. They actually need him to be good if they want to trade him. And, and I think they do want to trade him. I really do think this new regime is out. And I I, I think I understand. Um, the problem is that contract is, it, it, it's not, it's definitely not releasable. It's really not tradable either. They're going to have to go through some pain just to trade him, uh, maybe even including a couple of draft picks with it. But there'll be a team that'll take a, a bite on him as long as he returns to health and shows that he can be dynamic, which he can be. Um, to me, there's still three or four teams that would sniff on that. So yeah, he's going to play only in a showcasing role. And if, oops, by the way, he becomes a superstar, you know, that's a nice problem to have too because you got $200 million left in guarantees on this contract. So I, I do think he returns. I'm not sure if it's week five when he's eligible, but I do think at some point in time, he comes back for a lot of purposes to serve Arizona's 2023. Boy, that is a confusing situation because yeah. you want him to come back and play. We've seen him at his best. It's not hyperbole to say he plays at an MVP level. He is one of the best quarterbacks yeah. in the NFL, but you can't rely on him to stay out there. If he comes back and looks like that, you're not going to end up with Caleb Williams. So it's, you know, you're chasing value in either direction you go if you're Arizona. And you you kind of, you win and you lose in both ways. If Kyler Murray comes back and looks like an MVP, then yeah, you have that that you can trade and, and you won't have to give up picks probably in order to get rid of him, but you also lose the sweepstakes. Their roster is so bad, they might be able to figure out both, but uh, it, it's a scary situation for them. I don't Do know what direction I'd want to go in. Do you think they're tanking? Oh, I know you've been definitely. through a lot. I mean, you went through the Miami stuff. You've been through a lot of this now with the NFL. Do you think they're actually tanking? Oh, yes, absolutely. Trading away Isaiah Simmons. They let yeah. DeAndre Hopkins go. They, uh, they, they didn't bring in anybody of note in free agency uh, to, uh, to bolster a roster that was mm-hmm. easily the worst in their own division. They know what they're up against. Seattle's better. Um, the 49ers are one of the best rosters in the league. Mm-hmm. And the Rams are getting Stafford back. They have a quarterback that's not going to play in the first month, and they were perfectly okay with that. And then on top of it, Colt McCoy, the only guy that really knows what's going on there, they let him go too. So you're going to start Josh Dobbs? That is a tanking team if I've ever seen one. Oh, man. For sure. 
it's a very unique situation. Usually you don't see quarterbacks of Kyler's caliber playing for teams that have no interest in winning. Well, here's the thing, and, and we can finish with this with you, and I know we're going over here. Kyler's hearing all this. You know, he's he knows what's happening around him. He he knows that you know they're a two and a half win team according to Vegas right now, or whatever it is, and that Caleb Williams exists and you know Drake may exist and, and that, that the Cardinals might be set up to do something like that. If they let him go on the field, let's say it's week six. If they let him back in the field, isn't this going to be a Lovey Smith situation, right? <laughs> Where he's going to be so motivated to put this back on this organization and win ball games, right? So that they're not in Caleb Williams territory and things like that. I, I think it might backfire fantastically on them to play Kyler Murray with this unbelievable chip on his shoulder and this new regime saying, you want to trade me? I'm going to, I'm going to win 10 ball games right now with this ridiculous roster and put this thing on my back. <laughs> and then you're going to have no choice, but to, but to deal with me and have the 12th pick and you're going to be miserable because we have nothing now because you've got this roster thinking you were going to move on and, and start this thing all over from square one. That's I, I, one reason to avoid it. Right if yeah, one reason to avoid it, if you're Arizona and another, anytime you put Kyler Murray on the field, he's a risk to get hurt. So that's right. I, I kind of think if I had to lay a couple bucks on it, I'd say, I don't think we see Kyler Murray this year. Oh, I think that they'll, there's going to be some sort of an agreement that it is not in the best interest of the John Wall parties. treatment. Yeah. Yeah. We'll pay. Yeah. He'll get paid. He'll get paid. He's just, he's not going to help with their, their win total. We'll have to keep yeah. our eye on that one. That's an interesting conversation to keep going throughout the year. That does it for us here for today's edition of the spot track podcast. If you love the content you hear on this channel, follow rate review, subscribe, we greatly appreciate it. I know Mike does. SpotTrack.com for all the latest in the sports contractual world. We'll see you next time.